Fairworth House had good bones. Although it had been neglected for nearly fifty years by a succession of hapless owners, the basic fabric of the building had remained sound. I'd been mildly horrified when my father-in-law, William Willis Sr., had informed me of his decision to purchase what appeared to be a two-hundred-and-fifty-year-old fixer-upper. But the engineer's report had proved that looks could be deceiving. The slate roof required repair rather than replacement. The foundation retained its structural integrity, and the mellow limestone walls needed nothing more than patient pruning to rid them of the shaggy layers of ivy that had crept almost to the eaves. Though a handful of windows had been shattered by naughty children armed with slingshots, most were intact, and the splendid parquet floors had not fallen prey to dry rot, woodworm, or water damage. The superior skills of those who'd built the house and the quality of the materials they'd used had protected Fairworth from the elements, thus ensuring that it would not descend with undue speed into an irretrievable state of decay. Fairworth House had aged, to be sure, but it had aged gracefully. Fairworth wasn't palatial, but it would never be mistaken for a cottage. It was three stories tall, with no fewer than seven bedrooms, a conservatory, a billiards room, two reception rooms, a library, and a study. Any real estate agent worth his salt would have described it as a pleasant country retreat for a gentleman of means. If he were honest, he would have added, needs work. The chimneys were choked with soot, and the internal workings of the house were hopelessly out of date. After the purchase was completed, the plumbing, heating, and electrical systems received complete overhauls, as did the kitchen, the laundry facilities, and the bathrooms, and a small elevator was installed for the convenience of the staff as well as the new owner, whose knees weren't quite as springy as they'd once been. By far the most significant alteration made to the building, however, was the creation, in the attics, of a self-contained, furnished apartment for the live-in servants, who would— once they were hired, be responsible for the smooth running of the household. The grounds, too, required serious attention. A professional landscape architect drew up plans for the lawns and the gardens that would be the focal point of the ten-acre estate, and a well-known landscaping firm turned his designs into reality. Barring unforeseen disaster, the kitchen garden would in a year's time be brimming with fruits and vegetables, while the flower gardens flanking the house would produce enough blossoms to fill vases in every room. With help from friends in the antiques trade, my father-in-law had, unbeknownst to me, started collecting 18th-century English furniture long before he had purchased Fairworth House. When the dust of renovation settled, he simply emptied his storage units into his new home. He worked closely with an interior designer to arrange each room's furnishings according to floor plans of his own devising.
and he supervised the selection of appropriate paints, wallpapers, window treatments, upholstery, and bedding. At my suggestion, he placed a few historically inaccurate but cozier pieces of furniture here and there throughout the house, to make it feel less like a museum and more like a home. By happy chance, some of Fairworth's original contents had been found stashed away in a dark corner of the old stables. A painting, a book, and a few pieces of bric-a-brac that had long kept company with spiders, mice, and bats were freed from their cobwebs and brought forth into the light of day.